Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is John Chambers, who I'm pleased to welcome back to the broadcast. John's the former chairman and chief executive officer of Cisco Systems. During his 25-plus years at Cisco, John drove explosive growth in the company from $70 million in revenue when he joined to $47 billion when he stepped down as CEO. He's currently the founder and CEO of JC2 Ventures, a venture capital firm that helps disruptive startups from around the world build and scale. In this interview, we discuss John's experience with previous financial crises and the playbook he's running with his 18 startups through the current pandemic. We discuss why John went into venture capital after his time at Cisco and how the current crisis has impacted John's investment theses. We discuss the playbook he ran when making acquisitions at Cisco and the successes and failures he's experienced with digital transformations. Lastly, we discuss the impact COVID is going to have long-term, including how the pandemic has and will continue to accelerate the shift to digital, why the top 10 companies in each industry will be shuffled, and why we won't have an environment where everyone works from home, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Of over 100 apps Zoho has in the market, Zoho Sign is my favorite. Our product to execute paperless electronic signatures. I don't know about you, Peter, but I seem to sign a lot of documents. Banks, tax, recruitment, vendor-related documents seem to require signatures every single day. During the pandemic, hundreds of thousands of users globally have conducted their business of signing millions of documents electronically using Zoho Sign. Also, we are GDPR and CCPA compliant. Our sign does integrate with dozens of popular systems, both inside and outside Zoho. And as usual, we fulfill the promise of the cloud of bringing to market affordable technology for all. You will find Zoho sign to be at least 50% less expensive than our nearest competitor. And that can make a dent in your budget. Try Zoho sign at zoho.com sign. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. This interview was recorded in front of a virtual audience as part of MetaStrategy's Digital Symposium. John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's wonderful to, to speak with you. It's a pleasure. John, I thought we would begin with, this is your sixth downturn as an executive. You have a, a lot of experience uh, as a business executive, and there's a certain there's certain scars one gains and certainly lessons and even muscles that one gains as a result of each of those. Certainly, this one is different from the past five, but I wonder if you can, again, given all of the places that you play, all the people that you speak with, maybe you can offer a, a bit of an overview of your perspective of where things stand currently for our economy and society and what your, your outlook is for 2020 and 2021. Okay, so in the sequence you raised, and it is my sixth financial crisis that I've seen, and that's one of the things that's different. It's been 12 years since our last financial crisis, so many of the leaders both political and business leaders, were not in the positions they were in 12 years ago. So it's, it's a new learning curve involved. The second thing is that it is my literally fifth pandemic, obviously the worst by far. We actually at Cisco invented telepresence as a result 
of the bird flu pandemic in Mexico with President of Mexico. I was down there the day it broke, and we developed the product really to be able to do video to be able to protect leaders and be able to connect. And literally, that was in 2006. And then it's my third supply chain crisis. The rules are pretty simple. The playbook's almost identical in the sense that you want to determine how much were issues that you had yourself, how much were issues affected by the economy, et cetera. You've got to address both at the same time. Uh, you develop a, uh, a transparent, open, visible communication from the top leadership. You get your five to seven plays that you're going to run to navigate through you, the crisis. That's usually around customers, employees, cash flow, areas of investment, et cetera, on it. You then get metrics in terms of how you measure that success and how your shareholders, employees, and customers should evaluate that. You report back regularly on that. You paint the picture of what you're going to look like when you come out, and then you execute. You assume it's going to be longer than you think, and it will be deeper. It almost always is. And then as you complete that, and this is where many of the companies that I both have invested in but also have the honor of uh, interfacing to a number of, of CIOs and CEOs across the Fortune 500, you now begin to take step two, which is you plan for not only what you look like as you come out, but you position yourself as a digital company dealing with this new world, et cetera. That has worked well for me during the sixth financial crisis at Cisco. Each time we came out of it stronger, it's the playbook I'm running for 18 of my startups. Interestingly enough, all 18 have stabilized and are starting to grow again. And that I wish I could tell you that's good leadership. It means the economy is picking up, Peter, as you know as well. And then in India and France, a similar type of playbook with the heads of state there in terms of France becoming a much better place to do business top startup nation in Europe. Nobody would have thought that would have happened. They'll continue to build on that. And Prime Minister Modi, who I think is doing an amazing job with a very tough hand to play given the pandemic that's going on in this country. So that's the playbook, the typical approach, Peter. John, many chief information officers that I've spoken with think that their companies will return to some sort of new normal in the next 12 months. And I'm curious, what's the time frame you'd suggest? When it started back in, in March, I said it would be three to five quarters you know, in terms of the most likely scenario. Most people thought that was too pessimistic. It's interesting your data now is a one to two years. I think the pendulum tends to swing more. I do think the difference this time is the Fed, the central banks are all over this. So I think the potential for once we get a stabilization to get the economy going back, I tend to be a little bit more optimistic. When that potential starts, uh, I think, is, is the key question point. Yeah, it's very interesting. I want to talk a bit about uh, your firm, J2C Ventures, and also how the, how the current crisis has informed your investment philosophy and the extent to which there have been any changes as a result of it. But let's take that, those in order. John, if you could take a moment, talk a bit about J2C, J2C rather, Ventures, and what, how do you differentiate yourself in a, a sea of venture capital firms in your, in your general vicinity in Silicon Valley? So JT2 Ventures, I built it off of the, what I want to do in the next chapter of my life. I acquired 180 companies at Cisco. I love working with small companies, incorporating them into bigger companies, then interfacing to customers in a way that brings the value to them. You know, at this stage of my life, I really want to make a difference again. I want to live life to its fullest and give back. And JC2 Ventures does all of the above. Uh, major focus on job creation, philanthropic 
approach with France and with India in my home state of West Virginia, and then 18 companies that focus everything from artificial intelligence to cyber security to also ag tech in terms of catching market transitions occurring with business transitions. What's different, I'm not sure it's fair, but I get my pick of the litter. I've never been turned down by any company uh, startup in terms of would they want me to invest, would they want me to be a strategic partner. I'm more of a coach, Peter, more of an advisor to them, even when I'm an investor and even when I'm on the board. That's how most of the CEOs would categorize it. I carry the same philosophy Jack Welch taught me that I use at Cisco, one or two or don't compete. So each of the startups, if I picked them right, have a good chance of being the one or two player in their segment of the industry in a big way, uh, whether that's artificial intelligence or cybersecurity around voice or security around uh, the mobile phone market, et cetera. And, and talk a little bit about how the current crisis has informed your investment philosophy. Are there new areas that you're investigating as a result of this? Are there certain areas that you were once bullish on that you think maybe are less attractive as a result of the current circumstances? Well, my experience has been that while we would have all done almost anything to avoid the crisis, once you're into it, my parents were both doctors. They taught me deal with the world the way it is, not the way you wish it was. And so I spend just a very small amount of time looking back to understand how we got here. Then I focus about how do you go forward. The companies that I work with, just like the industries represented, and I looked at the list of people who are on the call today, are fairly broad. On some of them, like in the artificial intelligence areas, uh, a company like ASAP out of uh, New York City has 55 PhDs. The entire graduating class of MIT joined them last year. A company most people have not heard of on this call, uh, an evaluation of about $750 million on the last fundraise approach. Their average order is $15 million, growing year over year at 150%. Uh, call center, customer experience focus, and a Unifor in a similar experience. Uh, scenario uh, where they're growing about 300% a year. So there are areas of artificial intelligence that are growing extremely well, and this actually accelerates. But you can also be in artificial intelligence and more involved in the infrastructure, more with plans that have payback 12 to 36 months out with a company like Spark Cognition, which is amazing in terms of what they do in oil and gas and, and what they do in the airline industry, uh, aerospace, et cetera, but those industries are getting pounded. So their volume is actually down year over year with their positioning for the future, looking about new markets to enter into. I required all of them to do a scenario ABC planning, which I'm sure each of the companies on this did automatically as well, with what is the new norm, what's the plan we're going to, if it gets tougher, what's B, and if it's tough in that, what's a C plan? Make your changes one time to execute those five to seven major platform plays you're going to do, and then do a Texas two-step, then focus for how you come out of this and how you grow. And candidly, I see some of the industry groups, I'll use airlines as an example, where you have a company like JetBlue that's literally going to skip a generation uh, on becoming digital and use this terrible crisis as saying, I'm going to try to leapfrog my competitors and really move much faster to a digital infrastructure and taking risks in an industry that might surprise people. So that's what I'm seeing both on the enterprise and on the startup arena. That's great. And John, I know from our past conversations, you talked about how Cisco, which had this legendary track record of creative 
acquisitions, you know, acquisitions, you know, better than anyone historically have, have not been accretive, just writ large. Cisco's hit rate and home run rate was very high. And I know that, that you um, have mentioned in the past that one of your secret weapons are the chief information officers, digital officers, other tech execs who buy these technologies and using them as your sounding board to test your own hypotheses. And I know from more recent conversations with you that you talked about how that's sort of a similar way in which you directed some of your investment theses as well. Maybe you could talk a bit about that, that, that secret weapon of yours. Well, I, I'm not so sure it's secret, but I think there was only one Steve Jobs. He just knew what to build. It took him seven years. I've always had, whether it's an acquisition I would make or a major bet I was about to make with internal development and then evolving the products, I do that jointly with key customers. That increases your success rate dramatically. It allows you to have your customer references in place as you roll out the products. And it will tell you when you're doing things wrong and what you need to do right, which allows you to scale at a speed that others do not do. And so it is that approach which many of the people on, on this call have gotten used to, and it's exactly what I'm doing now, whether it's with the artificial intelligence companies that I mentioned, a, a, the only secure phone in the world with the drone that has been approved and the only sole source at the Air Force and DISA, or with companies that uh, many of you might just be starting to be aware of, of Pensando, which is my engineering team, MPLS, Mario, Prim, Luke, and Sony, which built $8 billion products for me with the average of 60% market share in the 18 years we've worked together. Pensano is riding that curve with the cloud moving to the edge. And then as it moves to the edge, that will change entirely the networking, the security, the storage, the processor power, and give choice that you can use any cloud you want, whether it's Amazon, or Azure, or your own cloud, and as 75% of the transactions on this Internet of Things go to the edge, you suddenly see 5G, IoT, cloud moving to the edge being a key focal point. Hopefully, we're going to build our ninth billion-dollar product with 50%-plus market share. They did that jointly with Goldman Sachs, Oracle, Equinix, NetApps, and HPE Enterprises. And so we had a, our products developed before we came out of stealth mode last October, already developed. They've already built their second generation of custom ASICs on it, and they've not had a customer turn them down yet in terms of the architecture. So that secret weapon, weapon of a move when I see a business model change enabled by a new technology change, I focus on the leadership team. I go to my customers that I've built trust and relationship over the years, say, what do you think? Would you develop it with me uh, in terms of the direction for it? And then I go for the number one market share is what we try to do. So that, in a nutshell, is, is what the playbook we try to run. The other change that is kind of interesting, Peter, has your relationship changed with startups over the last two years? And what I'm suddenly starting to see is startups Many large companies, partially because of the market conditions, the market not rewarding for betting five to ten years out, often actually penalizing a CEO if he or she is spending too much money four to five years out versus getting this quarter and this year, but also the top talent out of MIT, Stanford, the IITs in India, Polytechnique in, in France are going to startups. So innovation is happening at a faster level in startups. And so now I see the large enterprise customers that I've built relationships with partnering with startups in an aggressive way I've never seen before. 
And what I'm trying to do with JC2 is not do it with one startup, but to do it with 18, of use Comcast as an example, where they'll pick 11 of the 18 they're going to work with. One startup by itself can't move their top line and bottom line, but 11 surely can. And so we're working at this speed that I haven't seen before. And what we do with JC2 is I have Pankaj Patel, my prior uh, head of all of engineering, is one of the five members on my team. Avetkin, who's handled all service provider for me, $13 billion market per year, engineering-wise there. And so we get behind these startups and help them execute and help translate into the enterprise customers the ability to make this a win-win and focus on outcomes. So far, it's working uh, very well. And it is a portfolio to play, Peter. You were kind saying you know, that my, start, my acquisitions did better than anybody else's. They did. Two out of three worked. I still have a failure rate of about one out of three, and startups will, will have a, a similar failure rate even with us behind them probably if, if we do it this way. But innovation with speed uh, is the key takeaway there. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that, that, that overview. Very, very uh, instructive. You, you quoted, as others have, but, John, you've been very, very vocal about the fact that 70% of digital transformations fail. And yet, as I mentioned at the outset of this, uh, digital transformation is needed, that, that broad topic, forgive a, a, a large way of categorizing things, is needed now more than ever. And so I wonder if you can share a few lessons from the 30%, those, those organizations that are doing it right, as to the kinds of things that they are doing right that others might emulate. Yeah, and, and Peter, also with the audience, I'm far from perfect leader. I've made lots of mistakes, and I would argue if you don't make mistakes or you don't have failures, you're not taking enough risks. So I'll try to blend the two. My mistakes have always been when I moved too slow or when I tried to move into markets without a new technology and willingness to change my business model at the same time. So there is no entitlement in this new world. Every company will become a digital company, period. And it's being driven by a combination of technologies occurring at a speed in unison at one time. So I would actually argue that the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, the cybersecurity capability, the cloud moving to the edge, all of these 5G are playing together that requires the digitization at a faster speed. The mistakes that companies make is they turn to the CIO and say, you own this, go make it happen, or even equally as dangerous as turn to the chief digitization or chief innovation officer and say, you own it. The CEO has to own it. Then he or she has to empower their team, especially the CIOs, to say, how are you going to execute off of this? And as everyone on this call knows, if all you do is automate what you were doing before, that doesn't buy you much. You've got to change the business process at the same time for where you're going. And then you've got to pick projects that have a high probability of success as you start down this digitization path. If you're doing artificial intelligence and you're picking a project that people have not been successful with before, and it's early in the cycle with a long lead time from concept to, to payback, you're probably going to have the same poor results others did. If you take one with the call centers and using the two examples of the companies I mentioned before, where you can get anywhere from a 50 to 100% call savings, productivity savings, I'm sorry, you know, 25 to 50% call savings 
remarkably quickly. You can improve your customer satisfaction. You lower your churn. You make this a positive experience for them. You use AI combined with the summaries to make the exchange much more effective. Your churn rate on your agents drop dramatically. Your chance on success of that is extremely high, and then you use it as an example for how you do your company. But if I were to challenge each of us on the call and for the startups I'm running now, and if I were back at Cisco at this time, I would basically paint a picture of the future as a digital company. Uh, here are the five to seven major programs we're going to do. Here's how we're going to use the new technologies to do it. We're going to lead, and I can now use, since I'm a small guy, dominate each category we go into and execute off of it. And I would use startups as one of the innovation engines tightly embedded in the company to achieve those goals. That's kind of, you know, in a, again, a challenging, not dreamlike project, but a, a leapfrog type of project that people may want to consider. And Peter, if everybody agrees with what I'm saying, I failed. I deliberately want to make people a bit uncomfortable. I want to share my mistakes as well as my successes. My mistakes is when I didn't move as one company and didn't move quick enough. And the successes is where I got a replicatable playbook, got the entire leadership team, each one to know their part of the team execution on it, had a world-class CIO like Rebecca Jacoby that could really deliver on, on my dreams and expectations and build a structure which allowed me to move with the speed, even at times before I knew what I wanted to ask her to help me to do. Yeah, very, very interesting all. John, I also want to ask you here, uh, nearing the close of our conversation, what do you see as the indelible marks of the current crisis? You, you mentioned that your original pr prediction was, you know, uh, five quarters, I think you said, of, of downturn and then, you know, sort of reestablishing some sort of new normalcy. We'll, we'll see what form that takes. And in fact, that, that's the point I'd like to address with you. What, what do you see as the changes that have been made that are likely to remain as a result of the experience we're all going through right now? So in the sequence you raised them, and, and I'm obviously looking into the future, so if I get two out of three right, that's pretty good. I, I think it will dramatically accelerate the movement to digitization and every company, regardless of whether you're in manufacturing or healthcare or finance, will become a technology digital company. Secondly, those that survive have a chance to not only lead, but to unseat perhaps incumbents. So you're going to see a shuffling of the top 10 players by industry vertical as an example on it. That continuing to do the right thing, in my opinion, is a recipe for failure. It will get companies into trouble as opposed to the reverse. And I think you will see the speed of innovation for the technology changes and business model changes be the fastest any of us have seen by maybe a factor of two to threefold. Uh, I tend to always look to the future with a positive view and yet deal with the world the way it is. So I think it's a chance for companies to reestablish their leadership or to perhaps do a second IPO, almost never get to where you say, this is what the company is going to look like in the future because the market's given us a, a pass, candidly, for this year. They know it's going to be a terrible year. Uh, thereafter, where you're going to be one, two, three years out and to position yourself for the future. The movement to work for home, I think, is going to speed up, but I different than my peers. I don't think it will be an environment where we work entirely from home. The productivity of every one of my startups improved dramatically, anywhere from 10% to 200% when they started working from home, and probably many of the companies on this call saw the same type of results. However, that was based upon a culture that was already working and an understanding of the plays that were already working. Uh, I think that 
you will see a mix of the future where maybe 50% of our time is at home and I will never travel even a third of the amount I did before. I do almost all my calls now by video capability, even with government top leaders uh, on it. But uh, I do think it will be a blended version of the two. And the reason I say that is while Cisco, and I was honored to be a part, and I had great people there, and it was the team that made it happen, but it was our focus on market transitions and fearless approach to catch market and transitions and become one or two that taught us how you use a downturn to achieve that goal. We started working remotely 20 years ago, and we'd have engineers in the Sierra Mountains and people all over the world. That works really well for 12 to 24 months. At the end of that 12 to 24 months, you go back and review it two years later, as several of my industry peers found out, then all of a sudden, for many of those people, they were not only not productive, but their actual time that they worked dropped dramatically. And so you've got to be careful that the first productivity push that you have will not have sustainability unless you find a different rhythm to how you keep those people involved, how you keep them motivated on it. And that's why I think an example like call centers, where you're going to be your agents at home with artificial intelligence, a bot walking the uh, agent through what needs to be done, summarizing the call, is even better than being in a physical location with their supervisor there helping him do this. So that one won't come back. It will be in the call centers will be remote forever. But I think for the average workload, it will be a mix of the two. My final comments to your group, have the courage to dream, make mistakes on those dreams. Uh, there is no uh, entitlement here. You have a chance to displace your peers or to lead within this environment and think differently about startups, about perhaps this is a way that you can get innovation and achieve your goals at the same time. John, great comments all. John Chambers, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always great to share, in this case, the virtual stage with you and learn from your great wisdom and experience as, a, as an executive and a tech influencer. Thank you so much for joining us today. And please stay safe and healthy and best to your loved ones. Thank you very much, Peter. Have a good day. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday when my guest will be Ed McLaughlin, the President of Operations and Technology at MasterCard.